0: Welcome to the Just Ingredients Podcast. I'm Carolyn, and here we talk all things nourishing to the mind, body, and soul. This is a place where you can find just good ingredients to life. Have you heard about Met Naturals? We have all heard about CBD in its many forms. But how do you know the difference between quality? The difference begins at the farm with organic best practices and traceability from seed to shelf. Have you tried CBD? Many people have tried but didn't enjoy the experience or had an experience that they didn't feel anything. Love your CBD. Better yet, utilize it daily for ailments with pain, inflammation, anxiety, or sleep. Met Naturals is a brand that has thoughtfully created products with you in mind. Met Naturals begins their plant-based care by testing all soil to the billionth particle. They never utilize herbicides, pesticides, or fungicides in their growing practices and have third-party testing at every stage of the process. Learn the difference and love your results. Pure, simple, transparent. Use code JUSTINGREDIENTS for 10% off at metnaturals.com. Hello, everyone. I am so excited to be back in the podcast studio recording podcasts and talking to so many amazing guests. It was a long summer without having any podcasts done. But today we have the first show of season two, and I wanted to bring back the person that had the top listened show in my first season. Can you guys guess who it is? It is Dr. Josh Redd. You guys loved the episode that he did about inflammation in season one. So I brought him back today to talk more about inflammation, but inflammation in the brain and inflammation with kids. And so I am so honored that he said yes, that he would come back. So welcome to the show, Dr. Red. And like I said, thank you so much for being here today.
1: Thanks for having me again. So good to be with you. The stars align with our busy schedules. So let's let's make it happen today, right?
0: That's right. It has been busy. I've tried getting you on a few times and then... You've been busy. I've had to reschedule. It's been crazy. So I'm so glad we're making it work today.
1: Yep, you betcha.
0: Well, should we just get started? Just jump right in?
1: Dive right in. We have lots of information to cover. So let's do it. We're ready to rock.
0: Okay, let's just get going. So, Dr. Red, our last podcast was all about inflammation. It ended up actually being my number one podcast. And at the end, you touched on children in the US, and listeners have been wanting so much more info about this and how they can help their kids. And one of the things that you ended with was talking about brain inflammation. Can you explain to my listeners what this is and how this affects children?
1: Yeah, brain inflammation is really common now, and it's kind of unfortunate because the old-school model of mental health was based off of one neurotransmitter like dopamine or serotonin. So for years, a person would walk into a clinic with mental health problems, and they would be given an SSRI or some other antidepressant. And now we know it's a lot more complicated than that. We know that in a lot of cases, their brain is literally inflamed. So, just like you would see an inflamed ankle, the brain is saturated with inflammatory cytokines. This process causes all neurotransmitters to lose function, not just one. So, it also causes what's called microglial cells to overreact, inducing more inflammation. Microglial cells typically patrol the brain and clean up debris. If they become overactive, they are like chihuahuas chewing up the brain. All of these things contribute to a lot of mental illness due to the brain inflammation, and it is single-handedly the most heartbreaking thing when it comes to kids. Kids' brains will stop to develop when they're about 25 years old. If we don't intervene and do all that we can to minimize brain inflammation and to help it develop properly, then it stops developing at 25, the soup is no longer cooking. Neurons stop to migrate, the brain stops developing properly, And then what research shows is that the brain hasn't fully developed by the age of 25, then mental illness skyrockets. So one study showed that 30% of those in prison have ADHD. It also increases marital issues, addictions, crimes, substance abuse problems, eating disorders. So one of the biggest things that we have to do is step in and intervene and do all that we can to help calm down the brain inflammation and to help these kids' brains start to thrive and fully develop. If we don't as parents, these kids don't have a chance. We will have kids that have mood disorders, aren't developing well, filling their classes and their brains are literally inflamed. But you think about this, they have cereal for breakfast, they go to school and have chicken nuggets and milk and maybe a Rice Krispie treat. And then they come home and who knows what they have for dinner. And we expect them to be happy and healthy. And then they spend most of their day on electronics, which stimulates an already inflamed brain. Their brain is literally on fire, which really inhibits it from developing like it should. And then when they sleep, they can't really get into REM sleep because they have these overactive chihuahuas chewing up their brain. They wake up in the morning exhausted. Then they act out or don't behave well. And the true mechanism isn't Ritalin, Adderall, or depression medication. It's an inflamed brain.
0: So interesting. It's actually really sad. Do you think these health issues are getting worse in children? Or we're just hearing more about it because it's such an issue these days.
1: Yeah, it's, it's exploding over the United States and really across the world. But let me just kind of share some stats with you that show how bad it's getting. So as of 2023... Approximately 1 in 36 children in the U.S. are diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder, according to the CDC. This is the highest rate since they began monitoring in 2000. The number of children diagnosed with ADHD has reached more than 10%, a significant increase during the past 20 years, according to a new study. This is kind of a crazy stat, too. They're saying that 13% of children now have skin allergies, When I think of skin allergies, one of the first things that I think about is the gut microbiome, immune resilience, and autoimmunity. And one of the biggest triggers for skin issues, which we'll talk about a lot, is gluten intolerance, right? And so you think about this, most of the time they have this poor gut microbiome that is actually causing skin issues. But we also know that if it's causing skin issues, it's likely causing brain inflammation. So that's a crazy stat for me. It's estimated one in five children in the United States have a mental disorder, and the rate is rising at an alarming degree. This means as many as 12 million children are currently affected. My specialty, which I love, is obviously autoimmunity, and this is a crazy stat. While rates of autoimmunity have gone up in the last 35 years overall, they have gone up most in children ages 12 to 19, a threefold increase. Wow. So- You think about this, too. Obviously, they say that close to 20% of the country has some type of autoimmune reaction. It might not be a full-fledged disease yet, but they have some type of immune response that's attacking some sort of tissue. So you think about this, though, the rate is drastically increasing for that ages 12 to 19, which is pretty alarming and scary. We now have an obesity pandemic among children, with obesity affecting about 20% of the children. Rates of obesity have gone up by 30 to 50 percent in the last 30 years. And that's just that's horrible, that's right? Sad. There's so many different things that we can do to intervene to help save this. And in reality, the direction we're headed as a country, our kids are becoming less healthy, mental health is skyrocketing, autoimmune disease is skyrocketing, and this is really, really scary. Usually, if you have an autoimmune disease, prior to that, you've had some type of food intolerance or chemical intolerance for about five years prior to that, maybe even longer. So these kids are suffering with a ton of different issues and problems prior to even developing an autoimmune condition. Wow! From 2001 to 2017, the rate of childhood type 1 diabetes increased by 45% and type 2 diabetes grew by 95%. There's no reason a kid should have type 2 diabetes. So you think about this, the four most common autoimmune diseases in children are celiac disease, type 1 diabetes, lupus, and juvenile arthritis. In adults, it's Hashimoto's, but you see that these autoimmune conditions are getting worse and worse and worse in children. And then once they become adults, we're seeing that Hashimoto's is actually the number one autoimmune condition uh, in the country right now, which is really when your immune system attacks the thyroid at a rapid pace and causes a ton of different problems and will eventually cause low thyroid. But you think about this, kids are suffering right now. The highest probability is celiac disease, type 1 diabetes, lupus and juvenile arthritis, which, you know, it's, it's really unfortunate to see. But a lot of these kids don't have a chance if we don't intervene right away. If they have these types of issues, skin issues, autoimmune conditions, the likelihood of them having an inflamed brain and it not developing properly is high. And then once they get to 25 years old, if we haven't improved their brain to where we allow it to develop properly, then this can contribute to so many different issues in the long haul. And that's the scary thing right now.
0: Those stats are really alarming. They're crazy and actually really sad. So in your opinion, what is leading to all of this?
1: Well, let me turn that question back to you. What do you think is leading to this?
0: Well, my whole Instagram account talks about this. It is their (laughs) diet. A lot of it, their diet and their lifestyle choices. But as parents, we're responsible for these children and we're feeding them too much sugar and not enough fiber and not enough protein, you know, all these things.
1: Yeah, like let's take an average kid just for fun. If I was going to do a 24-hour diet recall to an average child, what do you think their standard diet consists of, starting with breakfast? Like, what do you think they're really having?
0: Cold cereal or a piece of toast. I ask kids all the time what they have for breakfast just out of curiosity, and that's usually the answer I get is either cereal or toast.
1: Which is terrible. They might as well just like eat a napkin, right? Except maybe a (laughs) napkin's not as inflammatory.
0: Or eat a candy bar.
1: You're right. You're right. And then what do you think they have for lunch?
0: the school lunch, a lot of them, or just a sandwich on white bread along with their chips of hoy and goldfish crackers and a Capri Sun.
1: Yeah. And then for dinner, who knows what they have for dinner during the day? They're probably having candy from the vending machine or whatever that may be. And we're literally inducing so many different problems, right? So the research is showing a correlation from the standard American diet, the marketing of ultra processed foods and environmental chemicals. This sets our children up for failure. So it's more important now than ever to teach our children the skills they need to stay healthy. Food industries, this is kind of the sickening part, recognize our children as valuable, lifelong sources of profit. They create products that are intentionally addictive and loaded with sugars, refined carbs, industrial seed oils. They have multiple additives, gluten, pesticides, commercial dairy, and more. They can't market cigarettes to our kids, but they can market so-called foods linked to diabetes, obesity, brain development disorders, neuropsychiatric disorders, learning disabilities, cancers and reproductive health issues. Right. And then we're finding out that more than 65 percent of foods consumed by Americans today are highly processed, addictive and contribute to the most common health disorders. Children are the primary target, though, and advertising of processed foods to children increased by guess what? Guess how much over the last Uh, 10 years?
0: You want a percentage? How about like twofold, threefold, fivefold? Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's, it's, it's increased the last 10 years by 50%. Wow. And so what we're seeing is that this correlates directly to blood sugar imbalances, brain inflammation, impaired neurotransmitter firing. It contributes to an explosion of neurobehavioral disorders and a ton of other health issues.
0: That is so sad again, and it's wrong, but as parents, we've got to know what is going on. I'm curious though. You see so many patients and you do so much research is there a common imbalance that is more prevalent than others in your patients and the children patients?
1: I think across the board, without question, it's going to be blood sugar imbalances. Hmm. Blood sugar imbalances create so many problems for us. So you think about this, just the foods that you listed out. A child wakes up and might have cereal for breakfast or a Pop-Tart or toast. Instantaneously, it doesn't have anything in there that's really going to be healthy for us, but at the same time, it's going to spike blood sugar levels. Those blood sugar levels spike And then we go throughout the day, they drop drastically like a roller coaster, and then they eat something else that's really high in in sugar. And then it spikes blood sugar levels again. And it's just a constant roller coaster ride that creates a ton of problems. So when this happens, though, your body will also produce a massive amount of insulin. And so what happens is research shows excess insulin causes problems with our hormones. It causes problems with how our liver detoxifies. It causes problems with our intestinal tract. It impairs immune function. It causes brain inflammation. Blood sugar issues really are the key driver for a lot of mood and behavior issues too. So think about this. If our blood sugar levels are constantly up and down, typically our emotions will be up and down. Our thought process will be up and down. We won't be able to think properly. We'll have more ADHD. We'll have more behavioral type issues. We'll have more problems. And it will really just center around how our blood sugar levels are. And so this is kind of an important thing to understand. But hands down, we see blood sugar issues as the most common denominator when it comes to these autoimmune conditions, brain inflammation, intestinal permeability, poor gut microbiome, you name it. One study showed that the United States is the world's top sugar consuming nation with an average intake of 57 pounds of added sugars per year. 57 pounds.
0: It's crazy, huh? (laughs) That
1: is absolutely bananas. And we're not talking about like fruit. We're talking about literally added sugar and garbage that has little to no nutrients to help us thrive. So we're constantly eating sugar, constantly destabilizing our blood sugar levels, constantly having our body produce insulin. And this just gets worse and worse and worse. And then we have all these other physiological issues that are driven by blood sugar imbalances. And now we have this chronic health pandemic that's destroying lives. And really, this isn't the kid's fault, right? We need to be educated as parents, and we need to step forward and stop this madness and do all that we can to help prevent our kids from their brains literally withering away and not fully developing.
0: You know, what's so interesting is you're talking about blood sugar imbalances, and that's a very trendy topic on social media right now. But relating to adults. It's never talked about with kids. And so as these adults are learning about it for themselves, they need to apply this to their kids as well, because it's the same info.
1: It really is. We as adults have just as many blood sugar issues as our kids. The unfortunate part is that if we don't step in now and help our kids long term, they don't have a chance. They really don't these conditions and diseases and problems will continue to explode in the younger population. And that's something that we're passionate about. As you've seen uh, our Instagram, my kids and and my wife have stepped up big time to kind of help educate the population on what are better options than just like cereal for breakfast in the morning or a pop tart and better options for lunch and better options for dinner. But across the board, when it comes to our patients, They either have reactive hypoglycemia or they have insulin resistance or they have both. And it is literally causing so many different symptoms and perpetuating their inflammatory condition or autoimmune condition as well.
0: Yeah. Again, so sad, but I love seeing your kids and your wife on Instagram. It's been fun watching them, but I do have a question for you. So I get asked this quite often. There are a variety of sugars from natural sweeteners and added sugars But is there one that is typically worse than the others? People love to ask me that. Like, is there one that's worse than the others?
1: That's a great question. The most common one that's the most disease promoting is high fructose corn syrup, right? That's very prevalent in our country. Uh, You can go to other countries and they don't even have it in any of their products. But in our country, we have it in pretty much everything. It's in sweetened sodas. It's in a ton of commercial products. However, research is showing that excess consumption of high fructose corn syrup will cause metabolic syndrome. It causes fatty liver disease. And also research shows that high intake increases asthma, skin issues, and brain inflammation. And the reason why is because it transforms fructose into inflammatory byproducts in our gut. And so this is a really, really big issue. One thing that we don't really think about too when it comes to blood sugar imbalances and high fructose corn syrup and all of this stuff, when our body detoxifies, it has to go through phases one and two of biotransformation. We just know this as phases one and two of of detoxification. That's an easy term for it. But what happens is it will leave our liver and it goes into our intestinal tract. There's an enzyme called beta-glucuronidase that will actually break those toxins free and pump them back into circulation. And guess what the most common imbalance is that causes beta-glucuronidase to do that?
0: Um, I'm going to guess sugar.
1: Yep, blood sugar imbalances, reactive hypoglycemia. And so we have all this information. We know this. We know that it causes increased asthma, skin issues, brain inflammation, you name it. But on top of that, It's also impeding our body's ability to fully detoxify. And you know, as the toxin queen, is that proper to say? (laughs) Um, That's a good title. You know, more than anyone, we're constantly being exposed to chemicals and just crud. And if we have blood sugar imbalances, then we're not going to be able to detoxify properly. And they get pumped back into our system from beta-glucuronidase. And then we're just in this inflamed, toxic body that's creating a ton of different issues, a ton of different problems and conditions.
0: So Mm -hmm. true. When people ask me what I think the biggest health concern is today, I always say, our bodies are just overburdened with too many toxins and it's causing all of those issues you just talked about.
1: Exactly. But the thing that is unfortunate is that the physiological imbalance that makes it way worse for a body not to be able to properly detoxify is blood sugar imbalances. And that is prevalent throughout the whole country. So between the two, those two are like a two headed monster creating so many different issues and symptoms and problems for a lot of us. And it's amazing how we'll see patients that come into our office We stabilize glucose. We have them avoid inflammatory foods. We do some things to help liver function properly. And all of a sudden, within a month, they feel better than they have in five to 10 years. And it's as simple as diet, lifestyle, and nutrition. It's as simple as that. People don't want to accept it, but we see it literally every day in our office, and we have eight offices.
0: You know, it's really interesting because I get testimonials on a daily basis about people feeling better when they change their diet and their lifestyle changes. So it really is so true. But I do have a question for you. You mentioned sugar and it being addictive. Why is sugar so addictive?
1: Yeah, we learned that sugar actually triggers the same dopamine response that a lot of other drugs do. It causes this dopamine reward circuit and it just pings it over and over and over and the release of dopamine when sugar is consumed makes the brain and body crave and actively seek sugary foods so a high sugar consumption can also stimulate a similar dopamine reward circuit in the gastrointestinal tract which then further intensifies sugar cravings then this is all perpetuated by when somebody has blood sugar imbalances their cells eventually will starve for glucose because of insulin resistance And so they're literally craving the most fast-acting form of sugar. We also learned that sugar stimulates the production of opioids, the body's natural pain-relieving chemicals. And then continuous stimulation of this by sugar can lead to rewiring of our brain neural circuit system to create addiction. So it's a lot more complicated, but without question, research is showing that this can drive a lot of addictive-type behavior. So like, for example... One interesting human study showed that bariatric surgery patients shifted their addictive behaviors from high-sugar foods to addictive drugs after surgery since their ability to consume large amounts of sugar was compromised. So we're seeing the research show this. We're seeing that it can absolutely cause an addictive-type behavior. We're seeing that it can stimulate a similar dopamine reward circuit in the gastrointestinal tract. So this is real. Like This is, this is literally happening. You think about this with our kids, though, who have no clue about this stuff. They're being fed or they're eating these foods that are ultra-processed. It's pinging that dopamine reward circuit over and over and over. Then we give them cell phones that are triggered through social media, pornography, blue light stimulation. They play video games. Their brain is literally getting bombarded by these dopamine-pinging sensations And this causes tons of problems. They literally have no chance to thrive if we're allowing this stuff to happen. And their success in life is dependent upon it. But parents don't know. The children obviously don't know. And they're being led down this path that is really, really, really scary.
0: It is scary. We keep saying that. But let's actually give some listeners maybe some tips or some easy advice. So if they want to lower their kids' sugar consumption, do you have some advice for them?
1: Yeah, some of the easiest things that you can do, conventional juices, sodas, those are just so high in sugar, right? You could avoid those altogether, and that's going to lower their sugar consumption really fast. Obviously, minimizing the amount of candy intake, just those are pound for pound, have the highest concentration of sugar. If your kids do want something sweet, though, there's lots of better options to have. But if they do want something sweet, Have them eat it with like a fiber, a fat, a protein at the same time. And this will slow the absorption of glucose and this will minimize the harmful effects around that as well.
0: Yeah. I try to teach that all the time to eat a carb with a fat or a protein or the fiber and It it will help a ton.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So like, look, our kids aren't free from sugar. When they're home, they're eating really healthy. Their quality of life is obviously a lot better than what it would be if they were eating crap. But do they want to go to the gas station with their friends and get candy? Sure. But we're teaching them the tools as far as what to eat, when to eat it, how to feel good, and it's impacting their quality of life tremendously, right? So just teaching them, hey, look, have a protein, have some fat, have a fiber with it, or... Have physical activity, right? If you're going to have sugar, you know, if they're active and, and doing things to exercise or whatever that may be, that's going to minimize the the glucose response and minimize the insulin surge as well.
0: So true. And it comes down to the parents teaching the kids. Like you said, it's not about extreme being extreme. Like you can't ever have sugar. We're not preaching that we're trying to teach. Like, let's eat better choices throughout the day for our breakfast, lunch, and dinner And when they do have a treat, like going to the gas station with their friends, let's teach them some tools that will benefit them as well.
1: For sure. Imagine if our kids, instead of having 57 pounds of added sugar per year, imagine if they only had five, which is probably still a massive amount, but that's significantly better than 57 pounds, right?
0: Exactly. Just
1: that alone is going to shift the health of our whole country. Like, I went to Johns Hopkins and I did a public health degree in biology and we spend so much time on, okay, what's the best vaccine that we can create to help save lives? Or what's the best medication that we can create? And in reality, the best public health policy that we could actually participate in is just stop eating crap, like eat real food. That in of itself, minimizing your sugar content, minimize the amount of ultra processed foods that you eat that would change the health of our country way better and way faster than any other thing that we could do right now this instant. Our country is literally imploding from a health standpoint. It's declining rapidly. And we're literally sitting here watching it and nobody's really saying anything. And it's getting worse and worse and worse. Whereas there's simple changes that we can make that can make a dramatic impact on not just a few of our lives, but the whole country's life, right?
0: So true. I agree with you 100%. And it's not going to be the politicians out there changing this. It's going to be people like you and me trying to spread the message on social media platforms and trying to educate parents. So thank you for all that you do. But now back to the podcast about blood sugar imbalances and sugar and things. I actually want to ask you as a doctor, just because I talk about this on my site quite often. So I'm curious to hear what you say What do you think are better or safer sugar alternatives?
1: Some of the options that we use in our house are honey, 100% organic maple syrup. We love dates. Dates don't spike blood sugar levels unless you eat a ton. So you'll see that a lot of companies now are using dates to sweeten their products, which is fantastic because it's not causing that insulin surge. Other better alternatives are stevia and monk fruit as well. If you can get organic stevia... That actually has a therapeutic benefit as well. So those are definitely better options than high fructose corn syrup and and sugar in general.
0: Yeah. And I always tell people to look for stevia leaf because it actually is processed differently than stevia. And so I like those alternatives. But talking about monk fruit and stevia leaf, because people get those mixed up quite often with artificial sweeteners. And they're not just FYI for those listening, they are a natural sweetener. But Dr. Red, what are your thoughts about artificial sweeteners?
1: Yeah, and that's a good point that you make there. Stevia monk fruit, the research shows it doesn't spike insulin near as much as regular sugar. So that's really important to know. And they're natural sweeteners. But again, there's kind of the good, better, best there. When it comes to artificial sweeteners, I jokingly say that artificial sweeteners are like drinking chlorinated pool water. I'm Mm -hmm. not kidding there. It's not far off from what the research shows. Research shows that it destroys the gut microbiome. It can induce intestinal permeability. It increases the risk of food intolerances. And artificially sweetened drinks have been linked to a higher risk of stroke and dementia. Aspartame, in particular, is known to cause neurological symptoms such as headaches, seizures, and migraines due to its impact on neurotransmitter and synthesis and release.
0: Okay, so now besides sugars, I have another question. Are there other foods that are common contributors to health problems in children besides these sugars? Or artificial sweeteners?
1: Uh, Yeah, if you listen to our podcast on inflammation, we'll have our autoimmune and inflammatory patients avoid a ton of different foods, foods that they're intolerant to, but also just foods that cause and induce inflammation. When it comes to our kids, there's only a handful of things we'll have them avoid. Some of the most common things that cause problems for kids are dairy, gluten, sugar, food dyes, and inflammatory oils. If we have a kid that comes in and they're really sick, Will help them avoid those foods and they're so resilient that just giving their body a little bit of a break and minimizing those specific items it can have a huge impact on them and they tend to respond really well what takes an adult patient six to nine months to help improve might only take a child one month or two months kids are so resilient and if you feed them properly and you put them in the right environment their body just responds so much better than it does adults
0: that's actually really interesting Okay, you touched upon inflammatory oils. These are trendy right now on social media. Some people are calling them seed oils. Will you just tell the listeners what those oils are real quickly?
1: Yeah, the biggest culprits that we see with our research is soybean oil, canola oil, sunflower oil, and cottonseed oil. Those are probably the most common ones that we see that are, that are inflammatory.
0: What about corn oil? Did you say corn oil?
1: Corn oil is, is also there too, for sure. Hilarious side note. One of my favorite things is research, and we posted a post about inflammatory oils and basically just went on PubMed, went through a bunch of different medical journals, and we posted this, and they literally threatened to delete my account, and they said that I had to delete the actual post, which is pretty crazy, right?
0: That is crazy.
1: Anyways, it's pretty wild how some of this information can be shut down, and uh, if the conventional mainstream doesn't like it, it's pretty fascinating to see the things that they'll kind of go to to kind of shut the stuff down and cause problems. But there's no questions asked when it comes to inflammatory oils. There's a ton of research out there that shows their harmful effects and how it's causing and perpetuating a lot of conditions and diseases and inflammation throughout the whole country, specifically our kids too.
0: Yeah, that's so interesting. And we could do a whole podcast about your account maybe being (laughs) shut down because I have a lot of thoughts on that as well. But we'll save that for another day. Yeah, Talking about foods, though, that are causing issues. I'm curious, what about gluten? Because I know so many kids that are struggling with it. I actually have an issue with it. My daughter does. And you hear both sides on social media. So what are your thoughts on gluten?
1: Yeah, again, and a lot of times I don't really have much of a thought If I have a thought, it's because we've seen it in our patient population and I see it in the research. I try to stay pretty focused on that and I try not to have my opinion come out, right? But when it comes to gluten, without question, we're seeing gluten be the gateway to a lot of autoimmune, neurological, and inflammatory disorders. There's no questions about it. You don't just have to have a gluten intolerance or a celiac disease for it to be inflammatory either. Gluten on its own Conventional gluten is inflammatory, whether we like it or not. And here's why. First, it's sprayed with pesticides and glyphosate, which actually change the protein structure of wheat. And research is showing that it makes it more immune reactive, just that one thing. Another reason is the way that we process gluten to make it more water soluble, so it mixes easier with other ingredients. Research is showing that the processed version of gluten is more immune reactive. Okay. Another reason is that we store wheat and sometimes up to over a year. And when we store the wheat, it creates this mold. And the mold produces something called aflatoxins. These aflatoxins saturate the wheat. And even when we remove the mold, research is showing that those aflatoxins are still present and remain. And when we consume that, it freaks our immune system out and causes more inflammation. And so there's a ton of other things that will contribute to it, but then on top of all of that, we typically will bleach it, we remove the fiber, We remove the protein, and then we add sugar, and now that's our gluten, that's our wheat on the shelf. It's not really even real food anymore after that point, and it's highly, highly inflammatory for a variety of reasons. So that's kind of the crazy and scary thing. Now, I get this question asked a lot is, well, can I have like sourdough or whatever that may be? And it really boils down to what you specifically are reacting to. If you have an intolerance to the actual gluten protein or you have celiac disease, then I would suggest absolutely not. There's no questions asked. If you're reacting to the actual pesticides or the processed version of gluten, then yeah, you might be able to get away with some of those things. And there's a lot of different options out there. But a lot of times you have to identify what you react to and what you don't and, and really build out a plan there for you. One of the scary things for me, though, when it comes to gluten is that only one out of eight individuals with celiac disease or a gluten intolerance have intestinal symptoms. Mm. Most actually have skin and neurological symptoms. So when I see that stat, that says 13% of children have skin issues. The first thing I'm thinking of is, holy cow, do they have a misdiagnosed celiac disease or a gluten intolerance? And how jacked up is their gut microbiome, right? Because we're finding out in research that most of these individuals are misdiagnosed or never diagnosed. And so just that thought process where only one out of eight have intestinal symptoms and most have skin and neurological symptoms, that's when it starts to get scary. Another reason that is kind of scary for me that we're seeing in research is that we're seeing that the gluten protein can mimic brain tissue. And so if they have this gluten reaction or celiac disease, for example, and they consume gluten, Sometimes it doesn't just cause problems with the intestinal tract. It also causes problems with neurological tissue as well on top of that. This can cause a ton of neurological coordination and behavior issues on top of that as well, which can really, I mean, that's pretty scary. Like the people who are lucky are the ones with intestinal symptoms because they're the ones that get diagnosed. The people who are unlucky are the ones with brain symptoms, skin issues, and other symptoms that are outside the intestinal tract. And we're seeing that that is a lot more pronounced than anything that we see at this time. One of my daughters, she was eight years old, out of nowhere, just started to get anxiety. And it was like debilitating anxiety. And we checked to see if something was going on at school or in her social scene and and nothing was happening. And all of a sudden, this anxiety just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And so finally, we intervened and we figured out she ended up having a gluten intolerance. And I actually have celiac disease in my family. I have a few sisters with celiac disease and a lot of family members outside of that with celiac disease and other autoimmune issues. And so we tested for a gluten intolerance. Gluten came up high. We stopped gluten. And I kid you not, almost overnight, her symptoms went away. But not just that. As a baby, she was always kind of like skinny and frail. And we just didn't, you know, I didn't really think anything of it. As soon as she stopped gluten, she began to thrive. She's a competitive gymnastics athlete. And all of a sudden she started to grow rapidly. She began to get a lot stronger. And then she just started to excel in gymnastics. And now she dominates. Last, last year, she was on the state team and represented Utah in regionals. But she's excelling in a ton of ways. And it was literally overnight once she stopped gluten. She's the girl that you'll see on my Instagram, like super confident, fun girl now that makes all these gluten-free recipes. She literally makes her own breakfast sometimes. She'll make her own dinner. She makes her own gluten-free snacks. It's pretty awesome to see. But think about this. How do we not intervene? How do we not caught this? She could have been on anxiety medications, depression medications. She would have had to go through therapy. Her whole life would have been crippled by this one thing. And luckily for us as parents, we found that she had a gluten intolerance. We stopped. She immediately felt better. Quality of life was markedly better. Now she's super proactive in her own health. But this could have been really, really, really crippling, right?
0: Yeah. It's so interesting because my nine-year-old daughter has the same thing, has issues with gluten And if she eats it, oh my goodness, I've got this moody child who just, everything is so traumatic and she's in tears. And I'm like, you have had gluten. Like it just makes her so moody. And so off of it, she just feels so much better and has more energy and her skin cleared up when we figured out what it was. So almost like your daughter.
1: I mean, you think about that, that's not an intestinal symptom. Yeah, it's true. Those are brain-based symptoms when she eats gluten, right? And that's scary that we're now finding that gluten can impact the brain in such a detrimental way that it creates so many different issues for their behavior. And not many people are talking about this. We see a lot of really severe patients and I was in my office and I got a call. My staff came in and just said, Hey, Dr. Red." Uh, do you see schizophrenic patients? This kid has schizophrenia. The mom's really concerned and worried. Do you see them? And I was like, oh, I don't think we, let's, let's not see a schizophrenic patient. Anyway, six months went by and I started to do research on gluten. And I kept on seeing these papers come up like schizophrenia and gluten, uh, mental health and gluten. I mean, I just kept seeing them come up over and over and over. And so I started to look at schizophrenia and gluten. And all of a sudden I realized like, holy cow, It could literally be celiac disease. And then schizophrenia is just a symptom of that issue. And so my staff went and called the patient back. They went through a bunch of little call logs, finally found the patient and said, Hey, you know, we don't know for sure, but if you want to have your son come in, uh, Dr. Red will see him and we'll see if it can help. Anyways, they came in. I told them the research, I told them what we found out. They stopped gluten. Uh, We did some things to help support healthy liver function. We did some things to help calm down inflammation and brain inflammation and to help support the gut microbiome. And all of a sudden, this kid, who I would have never thought we could have helped, and I didn't promise anything. This was just more of like a research in of itself, but this kid just started to thrive. All of his symptoms significantly diminished. And now I just got a wedding invitation that he's getting married. He has a full-time job. Like His quality of life is so much better than what it was. And again, it boiled down to that. So look, I'm not claiming that all of mental health issues are related to just diet. I'm not claiming that. However, though, there is a possibility that diet gluten can play a big role. And so just understanding that component can make a big change if that's the case.
0: Such a fascinating story and so awesome you were able to help them. And yeah, depression has a lot of different root causes. I'm the same way. I never just claim that it's diet, but we need to look at diet as maybe one of the root causes. For sure. And so with that said, I'm actually curious, the gut microbiome, that's trendy right now on social media. How important is that for our children? Because it's discussed a lot as adults on social media. But what about our children?
1: Yeah, we talked a lot about it today. Just to give you an idea, 90% of the body's serotonin and 50% of the body's dopamine are produced in the gut. So how important is the gut microbiome if those neurotransmitters specifically, that amount is produced in the gut, right? Mm -hmm. The gut is also responsible for regulating the production of myelin in the prefrontal cortex, which is important for self-control. So like our ability to gate emotions really comes from the prefrontal cortex. If that is impaired then we have a ton of problems there. We'll have a ton of neurobehavioral type issues. Our ability to gate our emotions won't be there. So the gut is really, really important. It also is really important for the blood-brain barrier. If our patients have intestinal permeability, we call it leaky gut, right? The scientific world calls it intestinal permeability. If we see that our patients have that, it's likely that they also have blood-brain barrier issues, which will further induce brain inflammation. So a poor microbiome diversity from a poor diet can lead to a ton of neural inflammation and altered behavior. There's there's no questions about it.
0: Well, let's help the listeners out again so that this whole podcast does not sound all scary. What are some (laughs) easy ways that a parent could support a child's gut microbiome then?
1: There's a ton of ways that you can and the best way is to just give your child a variety of fruit and vegetables fruit and vegetables will help the gut microbiome flourish tremendously and another thing that's important is just don't have them eat the same vegetables over and over and over again if they're eating the same vegetables over and over and over again your gut microbiome stays stagnant so within three days If you're eating the same things over and over again, your gut microbiome will stay stagnant. And that's a problem when it comes to immune resilience. So mixing up a variety of different vegetables and having them eat fun vegetables. Sometimes patients might not like vegetables. And so what we'll have them do is go to the store and buy the most colorful, strangest vegetables that you could think of and blend it up into a smoothie and then store it in the freezer and then just add it to different smoothies each day from that point on and you're giving your gut microbiome a variety of different vegetables to become vibrant and flourish right you can also do things like fermented foods like sauerkraut kimchi kefir water yogurts and then also too a healthy gut microbiome remember also depends on removing inflammatory foods and sugars If you're eating inflammatory foods and sugars consistently, remember that causes inflammatory byproducts and that can create a lot of different issues and that can cause issues for the gut microbiome. So if you're eating inflammatory foods, if you're eating artificial sweeteners, if you're eating high sugar content, that can jack up the gut microbiome in and of itself and you can't outrun that stuff, right? So just be cautious with that. There's really no, no supplement out there with pre pro, and postbiotics, like all in one. There's a lot of different probiotics that people will use, but they're failing to have either prebiotics and postbiotics that have a huge impact on the cell function of our intestinal tract. And so, Carlin and I, we collabed and made Probiotic Complex. And it has pre-, pro-, and postbiotics to help the cells of the intestinal lining flourish and and thrive. So, stay tuned for that. That will be fun.
0: We're excited for when it comes out because... It's a powder that you pour into just water and you guys, I promise it tastes really good. My kids have tasted it. They had to approve of it. And so your kids will love this drink and they're going to have this drink and at the same time, get all of these amazing nutrients for their gut.
1: Yeah. So that's going to be really important. I think obviously a lot of our kids, they utilize pre pro and postbiotics as well. Now they're going to be using this and it's fantastic. It's just another thing that you can add to make sure that we have proper digestion and intestinal function and really help the microbiome flourish and excel. So definitely excited about that for sure.
0: Well, I have a couple more questions for you. I'm curious about food dyes. Do these play a part in brain inflammation or gut health?
1: Yeah, food dyes are really scary. And let me just kind of explain why. The amount of food dyes in our foods has increased 500% in the last 50 years which is crazy. There's no reason to have food dyes in our food. Like it just does absolutely nothing for us. And the risk of having food dyes in there is absolutely crazy. So for instance, yellow five and red 40 have been associated with increased inflammation, increased potential cancer risk, hypersensitivity and behavioral issues in children and immune reactivity. Food dyes may also cause allergic reactions, asthma and food reactions. So this is kind of an important thing. We see food dyes trigger food sensitivities and even autoimmune flare-ups in some of our patients. But here's why. Food dyes bind to food proteins, and they make it harder for your body to break them down to be properly digested. So as a result, they look like foreign invaders to the immune system, so your body builds and mounts this inflammatory response. That's one big problem when it comes to food dyes. On top of that, the dyes can also bond to human tissue. It triggers an inflammatory reaction. This can worsen autoimmunity, inflammatory issues, and neurobehavioral issues on top of that. But the scary thing to think about is just that one simple point, like licorice. Let's say you're intolerant to gluten. We know licorice has gluten but also has red dye. So if you're intolerant to that one food and you eat it, it will take your body a lot longer to digest it which will allow it to be in the system a lot longer. So you have this bigger inflammatory and longer inflammatory response, creating a lot more symptoms and problems too. But the fact is simple that just dyes alone can literally bond to human tissue. And that in of itself can trigger an inflammatory reaction. So, When it comes to food dyes, I hate them. I don't like them. The research is pretty strong when it comes to food dyes. I would avoid food dyes at all costs. If you have kids, that's one simple thing that you can do that will drastically change their quality of life. I have a little girl. She is exactly like me, and it's scary, but it's (laughs) awesome. But when she has food dyes, she bounces off the walls like crazy. I mean, She's going 100 miles an hour. And literally, we can pinpoint it every time to food dyes.
0: It's so crazy to me. And there's no reason for these food dyes in these foods. They don't make them taste different or taste sweeter or anything. It's purely visual. And we know today how to easily color with real foods. If you want yeah. something blue, use a little bit of spirulina. If you want something red, you know, use a little dragon fruit or a little beets or, you know, It's just ridiculous, actually.
1: No, 100%. And what is more maddening is that we have all the research that shows the harm of food dyes. Obviously, other countries are taking initiative in removing all food dyes. In our country alone, it's increased 500% in the last 50 years. There's no reason we should have it. It's, It's unacceptable, in my opinion.
0: It's really sad. And it just shows that parents really need to advocate for their kids. And they've got to be educated and know what they're feeding their kids. It's just so important. Let me ask you about one of my favorite topics, toxins.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Let's mention those really quick.
1: Yeah, you said it earlier, right? Where we are flooded with toxins over and over and over. We're completely surrounded with so many different things that increase our toxic burden. And when our toxic burden is increased over time, it creates a lot of problems with a lot of different issues in physiology, right? So I think it's really important to be mindful of what we're exposing our kids to. We can have a whole podcast just about this, but flame retardants and pajamas, dioxins and diapers, fluorides and toothpaste. You've done really great with that. Like a lot of our kids and our family uses a lot of your products. And if I didn't know you, we'd still use those products. I, I love it. You look at phthalates and plastic toys. I could go on about this stuff, but just understanding what you're exposing your kids to, And making simple swaps, it will minimize their toxic burden and it can drastically improve their quality of life. And like I said before, they're introduced to so many different toxins. And then on top of that, they have blood sugar issues, which minimizes their body's ability to get rid of these toxins. And then we end up having all sorts of different problems. So, look, someone might be listening to this and like wanna freak out. There's so many different things that we're sharing that are really problematic. So, You might be wanting to run and jump into like a plastic bubble, but then you realize that the bubble has BPA and cause (laughs) hormone issues or whatever that may be, right? So don't freak out. Don't overwhelm yourself. Our bodies are really, really good about being immune resilient and being able to overcome bad environments. We just have to give our bodies a little bit of rest and give our bodies the tools so that it can overcome these bad environments. So don't like freak out. Don't have a panic attack. Don't think you're less of a parent or whatever that may be. I don't want you to feel that way. That's not the intent of this podcast. But what I want you to focus on is, look, is there one thing that you can do to change? And if there is, let's do it. Let's do an easy swap and let's try it out. And then once you feel good about that one swap and you feel like it's not going to cause you more stress to do another one, then do another one, right?
0: Exactly. I'm all about that. And this is not to scare people. It's actually to educate people. And then I always say, once you know better, do better. And so some of this info might be new to you. And so now that you know it, let's just do better. As we wrap up, maybe we should end with giving the listeners some strategies and some easy things that they could do. So- Yeah,
1: let's do it. Let's do it. um,
0: I know my listeners, a lot of them are stay-at-home moms or moms that are always dealing with snacks. So do you have some- Swaps are easy strategies for snacks.
1: Yeah, and and we share this a lot on our social media and Instagram as well, but we love Scout bars. When it comes to snacks, having real produce, right? So vegetables and fruits, that's obviously important. But our kids just love snacks. So let's 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 be honest about that. They love Scout bars. Our kids love scalp bars. It's sweetened with dates, which means it's not going to spike glucose as easily unless, unless they eat a bunch of them. Everything's organic in there. There's no food dyes, none of that stuff. That's fantastic. One thing that our kids love is Chomps Jerky. That's fantastic. They love real fruit, veggies, hummus, guacamole. Siete has a ton of different variety of chips and dips that you can do that are really healthy. They have organic mango and chili fruit snacks. There's things that you can do like huge chocolate, organic applesauce. We love your flavored drink mixes and we love your protein shakes. Those are fantastic. Our kids drink those all the time.
0: Thank you. Um,
1: we're not really big cereal fans, but Lovebird has awesome cereal swaps. That's just markedly better than your conventional cereal. So if our kids do eat cereal, then that's what they do. But again, even for that, we try to have our kids eat some form of a protein and fiber with it, Right.
0: Right. Well, I love those ideas. I know your account and my account has a ton of ideas. One that I'm really going to try to focus on this school year, I mentioned this on my Instagram just recently, is when my kids come home from school, they are really hungry right when they walk in the door. And if I have a platter of veggies out, just like a veggie tray with a little bit of ranch, you know, mixed in some sour cream or something, oh my goodness, they will just pick at those carrots, tomatoes, cucumbers, jicama, whatever's on there and just eat away. And I'm like, oh. That's the best way to get some veggies in you guys. Yeah,
1: that's so great. And again, just by doing that, you're helping change the gut microbiome, right? The gut microbiome is not stagnant with your kids because you're giving them a variety of vegetables and different snacks that they can do, which is fantastic. So good job.
0: Um, One last question for you about the kids, because I know my moms or dads, the parents will ask, do you like certain supplements for kids? Should they be taking them? What are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. We get asked a lot too. So the quality of our food and soil is really bad in the U.S. So even if you're getting them healthy fruits and veggies and, and food in general, I think it's really important for them to do some type of like multivitamin. So our kids drink a shake called Hepato RLS from Palma Vita. It's really, really good. It's just a little shake, but what it will do is it floods their bodies with nutrients and vitamins that they may be lacking. But then on top of that, it also helps with liver function and the gut microbiome. So each morning, our kids wake up, they go to gymnastics, they have their hepato RLS from Palma Vita, and they drink that. And that's just something that we do to make sure that they're getting the proper nutrients and vitamins that they need. On top of that, too, we like omega-3s. That's really important. Our diet, just the conventional American diet, really, really lacks omega-3s, which helps with inflammation. If they have vitamin D issues, uh, we love vitamin D. Should we tell them about the other supplements we're going to be doing?
0: Yeah, why not? We should tell them, though, that the probiotic complex might come out first before these other ones, because that one's done and completed. We're just waiting for suppliers to bring in the ingredients. But these other ones, they're almost done.
1: Yeah. So honestly, my kids are going to wake up. They're going to have that. I think it's going to be fantastic for the gut microbiome. We also have anti-inflammatory supplements that are coming out that are going to be really, really, really good. So it will contain ginger, turmeric, resveratrol, and boswellia, and it will be a really good overall anti-inflammatory supplement that will help aid in a variety of different things. Guess how many inflammatory mediators resveratrol and turmeric target?
0: Um, Most
1: drugs only target one or two.
0: Oh, okay. Well, I know that there's been a lot of studies actually lately about turmeric beating that out. So I'm going to guess 15 then. 30. Oh, wow. It targets
1: 30 different inflammatory mediators, which is fantastic, right? So you can do a lot of things when it comes to inflammation. You can support inflammatory pathways just by those, those things, which is great.
0: Yeah, that really is incredible. I'm excited for Our supplements to come out, there's actually even more supplements than what you just mentioned, but maybe we'll save that when they come out. We'll teach them all about the brain ones, the brain supplements, all these other ones we have coming up.
1: The brain stuff is really cool. And here's why. Because of brain inflammation, blood doesn't circulate properly. So we have these arteries and veins and the blood doesn't circulate properly and it can't get into those like little tiny distal tissues and then oxygen and glucose can't get to those areas. And then brain dysfunction just increases from there, just from that. And so there's lots of botanicals that can be utilized to help with getting oxygen and glucose to distal tissues of the body and to the brain. And this can help kids and parents and adults thrive, really, because for the first time, they're getting oxygen and glucose to the brain and parts of the brain that they haven't. And things start to thrive, symptoms decrease. There's a lot of things that you can do just from the brain alone to help patients feel good and to have a lot better quality of life to diminish brain inflammation, and to minimize problems from happening. And when remember, when it comes to kids, just helping the brain develop properly is so important. And if the kid turns 25, the likelihood of them having problems that the brain haven't developed explodes, right? So intervening right now and doing all that we can to help the kid's brain develop properly and thrive, that's going to give them the best chance to succeed in life.
0: We have gone over so much today and I actually could keep asking you question after question, but due to time, we're going to wrap up. So will you just tell my listeners where they can find you?
1: They can go to drjoshred.com or they can find me on Instagram at drjoshred and we have lots of content and information. I created a 60 page guide Literally just for this podcast, and it's all things kids. It explains all the different strategies that you can do. It explains all the problems. It has all the research and references on there. So even there, you can go to my website and download the free guide. It's literally 60 pages worth, and it can provide you with tons of information. And again, don't freak out. Don't have a panic attack. Just figure out what you can do, what change you can make right now that's easy, and then build from there, right? You know, we obviously deal with a lot of autoimmune diseases and inflammatory conditions. We don't really see many kids. Uh, Most of our patients are adults. But if you're listening and you have an autoimmune condition or inflammatory condition, you can always call any of our Red River offices. You can visit us at redriverhealthandwellness.com as well. Lots of ways to get a hold of us.
0: That 60 page download sounds amazing. I'm excited to download that myself. That's an amazing resource you are offering the listeners. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for being here. But as you know, I always end my podcast with asking my guests what they have found to be the best ingredient in life. And I'm curious to know what you're going to say this time.
1: Yeah, for this podcast, because by this time, there's probably been 25% of the listeners that have had a panic attack or at least have increased stress because of listening to all the different things that can cause problems for their kids. So in this instance, I would say improvement. One of my favorite quotes is, by small and simple things are great things brought to pass. And I like to add, by small and simple things done consistently are great things brought to pass. Listening to this whole podcast, don't focus on the magnitude or the abundance of everything. There's so much that could be done, but focus on improvement, right? We're all at different levels in our health journey, focus on what you can control and what you can do right now. And that's sufficient. I think consistent improvement over time is a lot better than the speed at which you do things or the abundance at which you do things. So give yourself grace and, and the love that you guys deserve. Work on being a little bit better today. None of us can be perfect, but it's pretty dang easy to evaluate an area that we can improve on and make that simple adjustment. right? And then as you excel at that one adjustment, then make another one and just keep working at that. And that's sufficient. That's great. So the word is improvement.
0: I actually love that. And after 115 podcast episodes, no one has ever used that word. So
1: let's go. Yeah.
0: I love that though. And it's so true because on my account, I never preach to just go change everything all at once. I'm always saying one little step at a time, one little baby change at a time. And so it's the same thing, one little small step at a time. And if you're consistent in areas that you need to improve upon, it will make such a drastic difference. And so, yeah, thank you yeah, so I much. Think
1: I think that's important, too, especially for our kids. Right. I mean, if we try to overhaul everything right now, our kids are not going to be not going to be in on that. Right. No, they're not going <laughs> to so be happy about in- that. The kids can make one simple adjustment. That's simple. You know, work with them the best that you can. And I think the sky's the limit for you. And then the kids will really learn how to improve and how to feel better and and how to make a better quality of life. Like a lot of our kids, they don't do the things that they do to look better. They don't. They do the things to do because we've taught them how to eat properly and we've taught them how they feel when they eat those healthy foods. They do it because they feel better mentally, physically, spiritually, you name it. Food is so important for us.
0: So true. And I hope all of you listening have the motivation now to just make one little change at a time. It will better your health. It will better your kids' health. And again, thank you, Dr. Red, for being here. I know you're extremely busy. It's always an honor to have you on the show and to talk to you. And like I said, we could talk for hours, but thank you for taking the time that you did today to teach others. And you guys go follow him, go check out his websites. He's a wealth of info. Like he said earlier, he's all based upon research, not his opinion. And I love that about him. And so thank you, Dr. Red, for all that you're doing in this world, trying to teach others how to live a happier and healthier life. And so thank you again for being here.
1: You bet. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm sure we'll do it again in a year or so.
0: Sounds good. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to subscribe to the Just Ingredients podcast to learn more about your health and good ingredients to life. Plus, get daily tips at just.ingredients on Instagram.